Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey folks, in real okay as Hunter fashion, uh, our audio settings for this week's episode were coming through my MacBook speakers and not our really fancy, really awesome microphones that we've paid a lot of money for. So that being said, our guest sounds crystal clear. He came through great because it was through our like recording software, but myself and Derek came through a little tinny, if you will. So if you can bear with that, I think it's not too terrible, but it's certainly not the quality that we're used to delivering. Um, but the content of this week, of this week's episode and the coverage that we got from our guests and in terms of like how we covered the topic of trapping is phenomenal. So um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for like <laughs> dealing with our technical issues that we have from time to time. It happens. Uh, it wouldn't be a podcast without an error, just like it wouldn't be a party if someone didn't get uh, completely drunk and you know, puke somewhere or got in a fight. That's kind of the prerequisites for podcasting is having technical problems. So, and in any event, I just wanted to give that call out ahead of time. Um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting us. Thanks for continuing to like, you know, participate in our content and our live broadcast and our call in. And thanks for the reviews that have been coming through and all that stuff. Um, some quick reminders. Uh, Foam Fest is slotted for August 27th from nine in the morning till nine at night. It is at Hubbleton Brewery in Waterloo, Wisconsin. If you want more information, go to our website, okayesthunter.com, and we have an events tab where you can go ahead and go to register. It's 20 bucks. That $20 is going to help us cover target costs, food costs, and beer costs. So you guys don't have to pay a whole bunch more out of pocket when you get there. And we're giving away a lot of stuff like a bear archery bow, some arrows from Vector Custom Shops, some things from Half Rack, some things from Go Wild, and some more things that I'm still working on the details for. So stay tuned for more on that. But uh, certainly, please go ahead and register. We're capping the event off at 50. And if I'm not mistaken, we're right around about 25, so about halfway there. And we've not done a great job of promoting just yet. So my suspicion is that as we get closer, we'll see more signups come on. So if you want to hang out with us and meet us and have a good time and drink some beers and shoot your bows and all that good stuff, uh, go ahead and register. All right, well, let's get into the show. And again, be mindful of our tinny audio. It is what it is for this week. Next week, I'll be sure to remember to switch our audio to our mixer. Thanks, guys and gals. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the OK Sunner podcast. Coming at you from the uh, OK Sunner podcast studio in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Nailed it. Got it. Oh, cheers, man. Cheers, buddy. It's been don't, a while. Don't go running when it's the heat wave. You're a crazy man. I give you credit, though. My gosh. I really, I do like it. I, I like running when it's ridiculously hot out because A, I like to sweat. B, well, this is actually, I'll get real weird here. I don't like sweating, but when I'm sweating, I'm like, fine, you want to sweat? We'll sweat. Let's go when it's oh, hot out. Let's just, yeah, yeah, I'm in charge here. 
Uh, and then when it gets nice out, running is super easy because I've over-conditioned myself for it. That's why I don't even do it when it's nice. <laughs> there, there you go. You said you got to the gym today or the weight oh room at least? Oh, my gosh, yeah. So I'm teaching summer school right now. We're done at, we're done at 1230. Yeah. And I'm coming to the podcast. I haven't been here in a while. I'm busy with home stuff. And my son's doing soccer on Tuesday nights, of course. And I was like, you know what? This is, this is what I need. You know, I'll do a little work in my room, and then I'll go hit the weight room. You know, first set or two here and there. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm back in it. Got and all of a sudden, quick. I like go to bend down and go to the water fountain and getting back up. I was like, oh, boy, tomorrow's going to suck. <laughs> yeah, you can't go too hard on the first day. And you want to because you have no, like, you're good. Nothing hurts. I, you're like, I can do this. And then the next day, you're like, dude, that was terrible. And I've done that before because I've gone, like, yeah. gone in spurts. And I was like, is it super easy? And I thought I did a pretty good job, but still just like, Years of not doing it. I'm not doing it. Just doing kid Muscle lifts. memory only works if it like can remember last year or something. Yeah, yeah. it's been a while, but it felt good. Oh, man, that's funny. Well, yeah, well, I, I, sometimes I'm working my way back in the gym, too. I start, I'll actually run to the gym because there's one like a mile and a half down the road. Perfect. So I'll be three mile run and a good workout if I, I can. I uh, mountain bike at a garage sale. Really? Actually, I just sold a mountain bike. It was so. out in a garage sale. Yeah, really nice one. It had rear suspension, front suspension. I yep. Actually, well, I'm looking forward to days. I want a mountain bike because I want to get back into it. I was like, I'll spend a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And I drive past the garage sale. It's sitting out there. Like, oh, that looks like a really nice one. Turn around. The guy's sitting out there. I'm like, how much you want for the mountain bike? Take it. Like, what? Kids never use it. Just take it. I oh, my like, God. Thank you, sir. Wow. So I've been mountain biking. Yeah, he gave it to me. Holy crap. Yeah, That's awesome. Cool. I got one of those road bikes uh, with, like, the clipping pedals, and I, I yeah. fall over on it a lot. Because you can't get <laughs> them out. I'm like, I fall down yeah, and then I, yeah, yeah, and then my wife just laughs at me. Uh, but I don't, like, I only use it, like, twice. The first time I used it, I got a flat tire, and the second time I fell over, I'm like, oh, this this thing, you know, I'm only. done for a minute, yeah, you know. Yeah. Anyway, um, sponsorship call-outs. Uh, Thank you, Spartan Forge, our premier premier sponsor, I guess is probably the way to say it, presenting sponsor. And they give us the biggest discount. And I think they give, not, out of all the sponsors we have, the biggest discount is for them. And out of all the sponsors they sponsor or whatever, I think we are up there uh, with they're, that. They're pretty reasonable. Anyways, yeah, it's not even, yeah, you contrast that against OnX and you're, and, and other platforms out there and you're doing pretty good, but that's uh, 25% off. Use code OHP, go to SpartanForge.ai. We talk about them every episode. It'll probably come up on this one organically, but if you don't know what they are, it's a mapping application and zero movement predictability app with some really cr- crystal clear um, satellite imagery, but also UAV imagery of like actual imagery from airplanes. I think the last flyover I have on their app for my house was, uh, gosh, a couple weeks ago. And so I was like paging through it and seeing when we had a construction dumpster out and a bagster out. And I'm like, wow, oh, this is getting kind of creepy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I showed my parents on there because it was the last time I was up north. We were looking on there. Like, oh, yeah. Dad, why was your vehicle parked over there? Kind of weird. And I'm like, what? Did you see it? Yeah, cute. There it is. Yeah. I can tell when we got our minivan versus our whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Anyway, so um, among that, like obviously dropping lots of pins there and, and you can associate pictures and journaling and. I think the the feature that they were talking about recently, and I'll get on to the next thing here, was uh, if you're getting permission from property owners, you can log that permission in the app and it'll show you which properties you have permission for. And if someone moves or like if it changes ownership, um, you'll be alerted. I think you could even set up, I could be wrong, but I thought there was even a feature where you could like set up an alert. Yes. You wanted to like check in with them or yep. like, you know, before season, I think you can yep. set up like an alert where you check in with your... Yeah, uh, Derek or Garrett, Garrett, 
Derek, you're Derek. Derek. Garrett, <laughs> Garrett Frawl did a good video about it. So the DIY sportsman, if you want to see a little bit more in depth, what that looks like, uh, that'd be a great place to check it out. Um, Vector Custom Shops, sponsor of ours. They have, uh, like, I would say they started in the FOC, front of center space, making heavy arrows. They've since launched their ZMR, and those things can't stay in stock. Every time they launch it, uh, a new release, they're gone in like 12 minutes, literally. Um, so they just had another batch come through that went live last Friday. I'm pretty sure they're gone. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're making strides and making sure that they have inventory stocked and so forth. Uh, they also have their own broadheads. Now they've partnered with iron will. Uh, I don't know their tagline specifically, but it's something like as sharp as science allows. So iron will. Yep. Yeah. So and I know with their new one piece component, like people are taking them in all kinds of videos, yeah. like the steel challenge. Yep. And the one piece component is like, doesn't fail. Everything out of the water. It's wild. They just man. don't break. No. So, I mean, if you haven't heard of them, like you, you're going to want to check them out regardless and just kind of poke, poke around their website. But the thing I like about it is the OKS Hunter, uh, I, I don't have any damn time, is like <laughs> I, even getting to the archery shop is difficult for me. So I can go to the website, plug in my specs on my bow, and then the arrows show up at my door built to my spec. And that's great. So if you want to save 10% on their stuff, use code OHP. OHP for everything we're talking about. And then Latitude Outdoors, I got the two-piece saddle. Um, Derek, by the way, we're getting uh, sticks and um, uh, platforms, and, and you'll get the saddle. Um, so check those guys out. I always say that I don't think I would saddle hunt if it wasn't for the two-piece system because I there's enough adjustability there to accommodate my comfort over even an all-day sit. Um, so 20% off with those guys, and it's code. Oh, I'm HP. excited to try the two-piece because I've had two different saddles. They're the one-piece system, and even, like, the mesh one gives yep. a little bit. But, like, I have big legs. <laughs> I have a big butt. Like, <laughs> but and, and it is slightly uncomfortable. Like, yeah. I never, like, it never made me get down from the tree, but, like, I've just, like, really yeah. yeah, well, like, people talk about hip pinch and all that stuff. Like, a little bit better. You can adjust all that stuff. And then... Uh, Go Wild, it, they're such good friends of ours. They're putting on their Send It Slam. I think it's July 9th uh, in Kentucky. It's a big, huge thing. You're going to want to go. There are lots of country artists, lots of products, lots of vendors, archery. Um, they're doing like our foam fest, but on steroids. <laughs> so I think it'll be a good time if you can make it. Uh, certainly go buy tickets. I think you'll get a discount if you want to like reach out to me or the like. OK Center will help you out uh, and save you some money there. I know we have a discount code with them. I know it's OHP. I just don't know what it gets you. I can't remember at the moment. Go figure. Um, but like I'm on Go Wild, Derek's on Go Wild, Greg's on Go Wild, OKS Hunter is also on Go Wild, and you can log listening to this show on Go Wild. So yeah, they have. Um, you can buy products there. You can see what other people are using to inform your product decisions and choices. They have a lot of discounts and free stuff they'll give away, and some good brands that they work with too. So Garmin, Vortex, and a bunch of others. I got a new Garmin watch for Father's Day. That's good. So uh, track my first run today. Anyway. We have a guest. I'm, I'm not going to make him wait any longer. It's been eight minutes of us bullshitting about ads. Sorry, Zach. So, <laughs> Zach, uh, damn it. Did you remember it? Did you remember it? Well, you're looking at it. Yeah. Uh, Ventus. Yes, I, Ventus. Did I say it right, Zach? Ventus. Yeah, close enough. Damn it. I knew Ventus. I got it wrong. Oh. Ventus. I was saying in my brain, I was like, this isn't what he said. <laughs> I told you. Uh, Ventus. So, uh, Zach is... I think we hooked, well, hooked up. That sounds terrible. We <laughs> linked up on Instagram at some point. He slid right in. Yeah, well, he did. He slid right in. Uh, of course. He's got that luscious beard. So, 
Greg's going to be like, oh, they're still getting weird over there, even without him. Um, yeah. So, Zach, you are our guest today to talk about trapping. And we've discussed trapping. It's come up here and there, but we've not had a full episode dedicated to it. So it's something that I know nothing about. You're going to be our trapping Sherpa. I'm not going to say you're a total expert, but I think you you carry a lot of weight uh, against us. If you want to just take the floor and talk about just some context for who you are and kind of how you got into this stuff, and then we'll start to throw some questions your way. Sure. Yeah. I really appreciate you guys having me on, uh, first of all, to spread the good word of fur. Um, but, you know, I grew up outside of Chicago, uh, Villa Park, Illinois. Uh, you know, I started fishing little ponds here and there as a kid. Uh, once I got to high school, you know, we, we graduated into getting kicked out of subdivisions by the cops because that's where all the big bass were. <laughs> Oh, um, I used to do that. Yeah. yeah. Get out yeah. Here, kids. <laughs> That's where they all are. Funny people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but knew I wanted to do something outdoors. So I went to university. Oh, connections getting choppy, Zach. Uh, um, you know, I just tried to pick my way apart. Good. We lost you right at the, the university you'd gone to. It got, it got real robotic. Uh, sorry. Um, yeah, went to University of Wisconsin up in Stevens Point. Um, I started fisheries because that's kind of all I knew, but wanted to, uh, you know, get into hunting. Uh, a lot of people in my dorm room went hunting my freshman year, so I figured why not jump into it. Uh, started hunting, you know, 2013, 2014 as a 18, 19-year-old kid. With that right still my my number one in my heart but you know I, I do love deer hunting and trapping but yeah started uh i got a inter summer internship with the iowa dnr in clear lake iowa then went back to school finished up got a uh that i went to uh dealt work with delta waterfowl up in western north dakota by williston and then uh, we worked on a research study where they were looking to see if oil and gas production had any impacts on predation or duck okay. success. Um, and then after that, I went to work for North Dakota Game and Fish, and I banded ducks for them for about two months, and that was all they paid me to do. Um, got to trap a little bit there too, you know, just keep predators out of out of the duck traps because we'd come up to a trap full of mallards and stuff with just all the heads ripped off. I don't know what it is about raccoons <laughs> and mink, but you know, they just, they just got to kill. I don't know why, but um, yeah. And then after that, I worked for pheasants forever back in North, North central Iowa. Uh, and that's really where my trapping started to take off. Um, we managed a, a big wetland complex. So beavers, muskrats, you know, all those, all those things that like to clog up tubes and just cause trouble. That's kind of what got me into, um, you know, damage control kind of got me into starting the trap and that kind of just took off from there. It's kind of like how you felt when you learned how to hunt, like, holy crap, I can hunt this, 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 and this, like, you know, really understanding, uh, uh, animals that you might not think that, or you just might not think twice about. But starting to understand their every step just really intrigued me. Um, 
And then after Iowa, I actually worked as a feral hog trapper down in the Ozarks of Missouri, um, kind of where the boot heel of the o- boot heel of Missouri and the Ozarks meet, kind of by Poplar Bluff. Um, I trapped hogs down there for about two years, and then we, me and my wife, wanted to get closer to some family back in Wisconsin, so we moved up here. She had a job lined up, but I did not, so I just got the first job I could at Cabela's, which was in the back, uh, in the gun vault. And I would just kind of work as compliance for all of our paperwork and just get to mess around with guns all day kind of deal. Um, but I also start critter control company just cause I wanted to keep, you know, furs, not great price right now, but if I could still kind of support trapping and paying some bills off of some fur, then I wanted to do that. Um, so I did both of those for a while. And then with my background, I kept looking at the Wisconsin DNR website and a limited term job opened up as a public public land management uh, technician. So uh, I applied for that job and got it and I didn't lose any of the jobs. I still have all three. <laughs> no, Couldn't even like, lose one. <laughs> I just feel like the coordinating of the scheduling of all that has its own stress factor and component that in addition to the workload makes it challenging. So good for you for juggling that. I mean, literally like juggling three different things is I can't juggle I think, three things literally. You I know? think that's really cool. Your background and the, the management side spans like across the whole Midwest, right? Like yeah. Western North Dakota, Missouri, Iowa, like you've got, you've kind of had a little taste of everything and working on the public lands, you kind of got to see what, you know, each deals with as far as, predators and how it works and i know the waterfall is a big part of that and those are all amazing flyways so that's that's a killer background okay you're spending yeah, a lot of time just, what did you see you were yeah you as i say before we started recording you were like you were doing a bunch of stuff outside in the heat today sorry go ahead did, oh i think the did you get us there can you hear us still oh yep sorry internet there you go. Yeah, it's uh, laggy. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I tell you, man. Um, yeah, you. what were you doing outside today? You were doing a couple of different things outside today? Yeah, so we were goose banding uh, for first half of the day, and then I was just mowing some prairies for prairie restoration on a open cab tractor. So I was. I pretty much had to get peed out of that seat by the time I was done with it. <laughs> Jeez, nice cold oh. shower. I feel good after that day. So yeah. We um we have a community that were uh, that we started called the Shooter Buck Club, and uh, one of the questions posed in there was how how does someone get started with trapping? And for you being so close to it and exposed to it with your profession, it makes sense. But someone that just is maybe interested, you know, how what is the entry point? Um, and before I preface that, there was a place in Oconomowoc, it's not there anymore, but there was a store in Oconomowoc, like a, an outdoor shop really? right in downtown. There's a single man shop. Uh, and he actually sold a lot of trapping gear and he's since it's no longer there. Like he was uh, pretty old and it, it made its way in the paper at some point that it was like shutting down. Um, but he was a pretty, I think there was, there's not money other place I can think to go to for that kind of stuff. Survive. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest issues with entry into it. Um, you know, other than going to Cabela's and buying some, you know, maybe subpar traps, you know, it's a lot of online ordering. 
Um, but as far as entry goes, there's a lot of good ways to get started. Um, one of the one of the easiest critters to trap and skin and you know scrape and dry is a muskrat. And we're sure not sure. Uh, that's kind of part of how I got started. Was just there's not a lot of trappers out there right now. Um, fur's not worth a lot, so this is a great time to just tell yourself to dive into it. You know, get buy a dozen traps, buy six traps off of Amazon. I've done that. You know, um, just hit some water, hit some public areas, so uh, swamp, marsh, anything, and just start just start looking for muskrat runs. That's that's a great way to start because then you learn paths of animals and and then you bring them back and it's not what the heck do i do with it it's they're easy enough to skin where you know you're, you can hardly mess them up you know regardless of experience another good one is raccoons um you know those dog proof traps are super easy to set get them out quick uh and and we're sure not short of any raccoons either so uh <laughs> it's it's just a good it's good it's a great time to get into trapping because it there's so little people out there and you definitely have to check your state regs wisconsin does have a lot of trapper education a mandatory trapper education program but it is one of the best uh it's like the the front runner of trapper ed courses in the country a lot of other states that incorporate it use wisconsin's as kind of a kind of a outline um so you know easy stuff like getting six dog proofs you know 110 of bears and just go out to you can catch both of those things in the same wetland um just start looking for sign um keep your head down i mean once you get started you'll never look at a bridge the same you'll never look at you know a wood line the same um muskrat huts you know those are easy to identify so um kind of dive into it but uh, you know, strategically dive into it with just a couple traps and then just go start walking around the woods and the, and the marsh. And are there, are there any, like, uh, to your knowledge, at least, are there any communities you'd recommend, whether that's Facebook or Go Wild as an example, or like groups, or does a DNR have any forums? Are, like when I say community, other people you could learn from that are doing this, that could be helpful. Yeah, there's a Facebook group called Trapping Talk I'm a part of. Um, you know, that's kind of all walks of life, just talking about trapping. Uh, I get a lot of my traps off of Facebook Marketplace for cheap. And, you know, the best thing to do with trappers is just if you go buy those traps from that guy, be prepared to talk with them for a while. Those <laughs> That's good. I mean, idea. That, yeah. so, most trappers are kind of getting up in age. I think the average age of trappers goes up every year, at least some. So like there's there's no new recruitment, but if you could if you could tickle the ear of some old trapper, I mean, number one, be be prepared to sit there for a long time, but soak in as much as you can, be a sponge for for every interaction you can. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone picked up a couple of traps some guy was selling, and you know, two hours later, my wife is saying, "Where are you? Should I be worried?" <laughs> me, me and old Jim just talking about trapping, so. Uh, you know, it, it's it's less uh, it's less public as hunting is or fishing is on social media and stuff. There is still some out there, but you know, if you somebody knows somebody that knows somebody that's a trapper, and and you just got to start, you know, being a sponge to those people. And there's a lot of good books out there too. Um, you know, a lot of those guys write books, and 
you know, you just got to start reading those books. Those are, those are probably the best because they're just written down techniques and uh, equipment and things like that right there in front of you. Yeah, that's a good tip. I like the uh, go buy a trap off of, you know, somewhere and you can almost use that as a, as a foot in the door. Especially if it's someone who's in an area you're in, you know, maybe they're, mm-hmm. maybe they're giving it up and maybe they're not, not afraid to give you a few tips. I know oh, yeah. I lived up in Peshigo, which is close to the UP of Michigan for 10 years and taught up there. And muskrat trapping was actually incredibly popular up there. And there was a couple older gentlemen who had been trapping up there for, you know, 30 or 40 years. <laughs> they give you tips on everything, but <laughs> what they were trapping. So yeah, they, were, exactly. they were very loose lipped and, you know, go get some coyotes. Stay the hell away from my muskrats. And if you step foot on their marsh, man, they'd let you know about it. But they are happy to share information as long as it wasn't in their marsh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, that a lot of trappers are giving me so much. And you know, if you if you put enough of those puzzle pieces together, maybe you know another coyote trapper that could care less about muskrat spots, and then you start like placing that whole puzzle together, it can work out. The the so we're live on TikTok also. So I'm just I just noticed there's a question that came through. They said, "How many years have you been trapping?" Uh, it seems like it's pretty well impossible to get into it. He's in Alberta, which is what Canada. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I wonder yeah, why it's impossible. trapping up there. You know. Hmm. Uh, I I got into it about six years ago, mm-hmm. just trying to, um, you know, as I was a duck bander, we would set traps for raccoons and mink and whatnot but then that moved on to you know more damage control in the beaver in the beaver uh world in iowa so it's about six years you know i definitely haven't seen it all but it's it's there's a lot to learn and um i'm just happy that i got into it because it's nobody knows as much about the outdoors as a as an old experienced trapper does so i just hope to kind of be something like that at some point in my life i mean they know where you're making an animal step in a one inch square for crying out loud because you told it to from scents and lures and everything so um you know it's it's definitely it could be it could seem intimidating at first but you know if you buy a couple traps i'm not quite sure how it works in canada with all that but if just buy a couple traps and find some public land i mean get a bunch of dog proofs and set them out. You're not going to piss anybody off at dog proofs. Get some dog proofs, set them out on some public land, catch a couple of raccoons and be prepared to mess up a lot. That's that's the only way you're going to learn it. But that's probably the best way to go ease into it. That's cool. How many different species have you trapped? Like, and which one gets you most excited? Um, gosh. So maybe if I name them, that might help me. Um, Muskrats, minks, beaver, raccoon, gray fox, coyotes. Um, let's see, hogs. A lot of hogs. Um, let's see, I had a nuisance job where I did flying squirrels. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's about it. My my most fa- my favorite one is beavers and otters you otter i didn't say otter i don't think but um you know setting beaver traps i just love getting down in the water and and setting beaver traps with hopes to catch otters too and
muskrat. Just love the marshes. I'm a big duck hunter and just love beaver, mink, odds, muskrats. Those are all my favorite by far. But you know, I do love I do love fishing raccoons and coyotes. So the dog proof. I'm going to share my screen here uh, to show anybody that's watching like lot on our live feed what some of the stuff might look like. Um, when, when you're talking about catching or trapping uh, coyotes and you have a dog proof trap, you're not able to, that's not able to, to differentiate between a dog and a coyote, right? If, if I'm understanding that correctly, so, like, I don't know how I would know. Right. So dog, dog proofs were mainly for raccoons um, because they have their, you know, pretty uh, adjustable hand. Um, so that is, that is basically just for raccoon trapping. Um, I have caught, you know, possums and skunks in those traps. Well, that's another one I didn't mention skunks, possums, <laughs> you know, they'll all come to me sooner or later, but yeah, so that, that is basically by design a raccoon trap because they stick their hand in, in that cookie jar and on the bottom there is the spring that, you know, clamps onto their wrist there's a little trigger at the back of that and that clamps onto their wrist once they pull that trigger. Okay. And then I guess since we're on the topic, like the next one down on your list here is uh, for beavers and otters mainly, and this is a double long ring foothold trap. I mean, there's a lot to learn here. Like you said, it, it, just like hunting, it, it gets so deep and granular pretty quick. Oh, yeah. And that's, Honestly, a bit of the fun of it is like mastering something new and continuously learning. It seems like one of those things, yeah. much like hunting, where as soon as you get your toes wet, you want to... The appetite for knowledge you want to go and experience. Bit and you yeah. want to go deeper. Zach, I've always been intrigued by beaver trapping myself. And I had a friend who was into it, not super successful, but was really into it. And I went with him on a trap set one time. We didn't get anything. But like, what? how does it work? I mean... It's in the winter time, right? So you're trapping through the ice usually for a beaver season. How does the setup work? Where are you putting them? Are they under the ice? Are they near lodges? Like, how do you do it? Yeah, so um, season comes in. I forget if it was October. I think mid-October, beaver, beavers tra trapping starts. Um, but, you know, if you, if you have a drainage, a river, a marsh, uh, where you locate a dam, the... Beavers don't live in a dam, which I think is a common misconception in um, some people that probably don't trap, but that's to block water so that they can live on the high side of the river, stream, or lake. So their lodge hmm. will be on the high side of the dam. Um, and, you know, they get, they gotta, they gotta eat, they gotta gnaw, they gotta cut their teeth down. Their teeth don't stop growing. So they go find, you know, willow sticks, things like that. Um, so if you locate a dam, First thing to do is go upstream to find the lodge. Um, next thing to do, you'll find a lot, a lot of times if before it gets frozen, that there's, um, you know, mudslides coming in and out of their favorite spots to access, uh, you know, whether it's, if it's to a willow patch or um, whatever it may be. So th those are great spots to set up a, a foothold trap, um, like a bigger foothold trap, like that double long spring or, you know, they're all numbered. So like a number four or five, um, something for either a front foot or back foot catch. Um, and I usually put a little bit of caster scent on land. Caster is that secretion they have. Um, 
it kind of smells like vanilla almost. Interesting. It's actually, yeah, it's actually, that's the most, uh, you know, that's the best part of the beaver because if you save enough of that, that sells for about $90 a pound. Um, what? They, yeah, they actually use it in fancy perfumes as like a sticking agent and sort of like a, a vanilla extract scent. Um, but you can grind that up yourself if you catch some or you can buy some online. But I just usually put some mud up onto the bank wherever that slide is because they'll do that. They'll put mud up and mark the tip their own caster scent. So I'll kind of mimic that. Um, you know, another beaver and they'll want to come check that out. So I'll mud up, you know, if I, if I have a nice mud slide coming out of a, a river bank, I'll throw big globs of mud right in the middle of their slide and then put a little bit of that caster right <laughs> on top. You know, this is a this is a new beaver they've never smelled before, so they want to come check it out. And uh, little do they know you have a trap at the bottom, so they kind of like float along like a blimp almost in the water. And then once their nose touches the land, their back feet kind of just float down to the bottom so that they can start walking out. So there's a couple different ways to set your traps. You can set them as a front foot catch or a back foot catch. Um, you know, front foot catch be pretty close to the shore, but you don't want it so shallow that they just like rub their women over it. Uh, so back a little bit, you know, four, five, six inches, depending on how steep of a drop off it is. Otherwise, for a back foot catch, you know, I usually do from the tip of my finger to my elbow from the bank into water. And then you just kind of set it down and make right at that point. That's usually for the back foot beaver. So um, they're, they're not you know, small. Some, lure, some beavers can get pretty caster. big. Yeah. My, so when you, when you talk about like your 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 hand, your elbow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My yeah, my biggest what? one I've Dude, caught is sixty five pounds. Sixty five pound beaver. So yeah. so I. I'm gonna I'm gonna flip the the screen back to I'm gonna try to uh, something a little bit different here with the screen so just bear with me here but I'm uh I did watch a meat eater episode where he was doing some beaver trapping and the size of them was I didn't realize they got that big so even hearing 65 pounds is like that's bigger than my boxer right. upstairs right yeah. one of them at least and uh, I don't know I forget which part I don't remember the episode clearly enough where Ronella was. I don't, it's something with the tail as far as, you know, he gets really particular about cutting up meat and showing off really unique ways to eat game. Um, yeah. But it had something to do with the tail and it being like a really, really uh, good part of the beaver to be eating. Really? Yeah. Do you know I, what I'm uh, talking about? I do. Yeah. I've actually tried something like that once. Um, so I cut the tail off and I put it in the oven just to see what would happen. Um, and it actually, that, the scale and meal kind of um and it kind of separate from the actual i guess it's mainly fat but fat in the tail so after i forget how long i did it maybe 15 20 minutes d 300 um i actually took it out and almost like skinned that tail and it's just like this rich yellow like it's pretty dang good fat and you just sprinkle salt on it i mean it was really good um you know kind of not something i'm gonna do every day and but but it's one of those things where yeah, i got to say I did, I did, well yeah you know it, it, yeah. it, it kind of runs like you know uh what is this saying? fat is flavor right uh yeah. to some degree and 
there's a silly TikTok recipe that went around where you take beaver tail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> there's a diet coke one going on right now. Don't try it; it doesn't taste like diet coke. I promise. And if you ever want to Google that, go luck. Uh, good luck. But there was one where if you take cream cheese and you you hack like do a, a cross hatch kind of cut with some knives and you sprinkle whatever seasoning you love on it, whether that's lorries or some sort of like rub garlic, whatever you want, whatever you're doing, and you throw that in your smoker for like some duration of time. I think it's like a couple, like maybe it's an hour or something like that. I'm, I'm getting it all wrong here, but I did, I did try it to a tea. Like <laughs> <laughs> then you just dip your, your crackers in it and it's amazing. I feel, I feel like that uh, would yeah, be similar. Rich, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's uh, completely yeah, inaccurate I'm sure. and I'm not a credible source, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting when you consider more more than that like what are you doing with a mink and what are you doing with a uh, a gray fox and what are you doing with an fox. otter did you see the picture of the gray fox yes i mean gray fox are beautiful but the one that you sent over the, the picture man what a specimen that thing is do you have that yeah picture? yeah you sell that that's gorgeous they're insane um you know it's just salt and pepper fur on them and oh. i, I so kind of i always thought about how cool they were and then you see one up close and you really take appreciate appreciation of like just how many colors they got going on um but yeah so when i was in iowa yeah when i was in iowa uh trapping a lot there's actually a fur buyer in a couple towns over so um yeah i mean yeah it's got red it's got different you know salt and pepper back dark black on the top red all around it too i mean they're just they're insane and they can climb trees Wow. Interesting. Very interesting. Sorry. But, okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't mean to like distract you too much here. Cause I, I, this is, this is that learning territory that we're talking about where you get into something new and it gets really fascinating. And this is mostly why I was so intrigued and excited to talk with you because we've not covered this topic. No, not thoroughly. You know, and there's not a lot of you out there as you had mentioned, and you're not, you know, 80. So. <laughs> right. yeah. um, hey, I do have to ask since we were talking about, you know, meat and cooking a little bit. Your shirt, Mitski's. Oh like yeah. It says Pound Wisconsin. Is that the Mitski's that that yeah. shirt came from? That's up there. So yeah. So that was yeah, that was uh, where I lived. It was very very close to there, about fifteen minutes away. So I've had lots of beer and meat oh, processed yeah. at Mitski's. So I just had to point that out. Awesome. Yeah, my my brother shot a bear up near there, and uh, they took it right over there and got it all for us. <laughs> awesome. That's cool. Sorry. So uh, yeah, the go, to go back to the question, like. You mentioned uh, prices aren't great for fur right now. Um, I know the few trappers I've talked to, that's like one of the considerations where you can make some money doing this, but I don't, to my knowledge, you're not making enough money to like provide. And I'll back up just a little bit here and I'm going to let you answer the question. Uh, but at the one time I went duck hunting uh, with a guide, Scott Ford, he's a, he's a follower of the, of the brand and the podcast and so forth. Um, we didn't have a lot of luck duck hunting. I think they just vacated the area the day before. So it was unfortunate for us, but fun experience. But on the way out to the marsh, there are these guys trapping and they were trapping muskrats and they had an ice fishing sled full of these things. And I was like, holy crap, that's a lot. And they're like, ah, not really. I was like, uh, what, <laughs> what do you mean? Not really. That looks like a lot to me. What are you talking about? So maybe those guys are doing more of that kind of stuff where it, it, you know those that quantity wasn't good enough for them. I'm not entirely sure. Can you elaborate on what you're doing with the hides and the animals and 
the different category of, of animal that you're trapping, like why would you target something over something different and what happens with that stuff? Sorry, that's a, a lot of uh, questions there. Sure, yeah, no. Um, so when I was living in Iowa, there was a fur buyer in the next town over. So it was easy to, you know, I catch a couple of beavers, I skin them, um, you know, I scrape all the fat off the back, stretch them out and dry them. And then I would just take them over there and sell them to uh, Bill. Um, you know, I would range from, you know, six to 20 bucks a beaver, uh, you know, so not terrible. Uh, definitely. Um, go back to that 65 pound beaver. What are you doing with one of those? <laughs> uh, that's actually a, a chair throw over the back of my chair okay. over here. Uh, so you're not selling that. Pelt. Do you have the, do you have the gray fox also? That one's actually at the tannery. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's another thing too, is, um, you can ship them to tanneries and get them back. And, you know, they're beautiful pieces of fur to, that you can do whatever with. But um, that's so I would sell I would sell in Iowa directly. Um, he he kind of cut out the middleman and shipped them directly to, you know, people that use the garments overseas. I think one of his biggest ones was, you know, Italy, China, Russia. They all they're Those are the biggest fur users still. Yep. Um, I know a guy in the fur trade business and is their biggest selling like geography is Russia and they're a bit screwed right now from the sounds of it. He's like, well, it's out of my control. I can't do much. Yeah. And they're in the mink business for the record. And I oh, sure. just, I just had lunch with them the other day. I'm like, how is the mink business? <laughs> what is going on in the mink business? <laughs> Not much. That, see the beaver and mink in like, Russia is such a vast territory that has all of these wild animals. Right. I mean, Russia has beavers, right? Like Russia has to have. Well, mink. and there's only so many like, mink farms how that are exist. They, why you know are they I mean? importing them from here? Like, no. Yeah, I don't. Like, I Italy, mean, I can understand, right? Like Italy, they don't have beavers running around all over Italy, like canals <laughs> and Venice. Like, there's probably not. Well, according beavers. to Ronald, this this country was built out the back of the beaver industry. You know, because yeah. people bought land based yeah. on other beavers or not, yeah. from what I heard and learned from his show, of course. So I don't know how credible yeah, that is, it. but yeah. Yeah. Europe, Europe ran out of beavers back in the 1700s and they wanted to go find more. So it kind of paired up perfectly with their uh, U.S. exploration. And, mm -hmm. you know, they just said, start finding beavers. And then that led to them shipping up to Hudson Bay, Ontario. And so that the Hudson Bay company could ship beavers back okay. to Europe. So it's just kind of like a big a big roundabout way of, you know, exploring the U.S. out west and then still getting beaver production. The Western Front was for finding the beaver. Yeah. 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 I mean, whatever. Like, <laughs> so great. Okay, we, we, we went down a distraction path. Yeah, I apologize. Sorry. Uh, we would not be caught in your trap because we would get too distracted. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so. Um, What's that? A bottle tree. <laughs> <laughs> Got to chop that one down. Yeah. But uh, so. You know, what I go after is just kind of, I kind of just, first of all, I wait for, for, for a couple of weeks to get more prime, um, early, you know, raccoons and, okay. and stuff. It matters Doesn't when really, you get the animal trapped. Yeah. So, um, their fur, the fur primeness goes off of sun photo period. So less sunlight, the fur gets better. Um, but you know, early season raccoons, it's super thin skin. Their skin actually blue when you know it's not ready yet. You flip them inside out to scrape them and dry them, and the, the skin is like actually blue. Um, that's just like there's kind of summer skin, they haven't really grown into their thicker winter skin yet. Um, but 
usually, you know, end of October, early November, I start really ramping it up and I kind of, I kind of want to stick to, you know, either one area or one animal. So last year I set a lot of muskrat traps on a, you know, a couple different areas. Um, and then I switched to beavers and then I switched to, you know, rivers kind of late November, uh, right when fur's like about perfect. And then spring season is a really good time to catch beavers too, because, um, you know, they're, they're looking for mates and everything. So those caster scents are really, really draw them in from long ways away, um, and get them really curious about it. But so, you know, catching a bunch of muskrats, you put those up right away, you know, you, you flush them out, which is just scraping all the fat off the inside of their skin. You flip the whole, once you case skin it, which is like a sock kind of, you flip them inside out and then scrape all the fat off. And then you hang it up on a, uh, a wire stretcher, which is stretches and dries the fur and the skin. Um, you know, I think this last year I got three bucks a muskrat, but it's easy work. I can do, you know, six in an hour, something like that, all the way to completion. So like six set, six traps an hour, or are you talking about round trip? Got it. So that's not including your time in the field. So skinning for, so after I catch six muskrats, it'll take me about an hour to skin them, flesh them, dry them, and then give them about a week to dry and then they're ready to sell. Um, but yeah, I got, I, I actually, I actually found a guy down in Eagle, Wisconsin that bought fur because he does his own fur, um, you know, garments and things. And his biggest seller was he'd go to the bars at night and sell uh, <laughs> raccoon fur lined koozies. There you go. Oh, I'm interested. We have our Can Buffalo plaid koozies, which yeah. I thought was like the uniquest koozie in the market, but now I've been one up. <laughs> I've got a muskrat koozie with the tail. Could be I'm telling you, man, the, yeah. the riches are in the niches, okay? Yeah. Yeah. You could go any amount of ways on putting fur on something. People usually eat We're it. We're going to talk later. <laughs> so, Zach, I've got I've got coon coon koozies. I'm sorry, <laughs> but koozies is trademark, okay. so I can't actually call it a koozie. Coonsies from our lawyer, yeah, it is. So we had to change the name of our our koozies to can coolers. It has to be can cooler. What yeah. about koonsies? Anyway, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll get that one scooped up. <laughs> so I've got I've got two questions, and they're vastly vastly different. Number one, for people, you know, in this area, let's just say Midwest, Wisconsin, a lot of people who are deer hunters, you know, coyotes, predate, um, you know, fawns, deer. So people, if they're jumping into trapping, I would imagine that would be a place that they would be interested trying to trap some coyotes to help out the deer population. I've talked to tons of people who are interested in this. I know that they're not the easiest thing because they are quite clever and they're pretty wary. Clever coyote. What do you, what do you do? When you're, you know, to target a coyote or say like the gray fox, like, you know, somewhat similar fox, but, you know, coyotes travel differently. But like, what do you do yeah. for that? How would you set up to, to run a coyote trap line? What, what would you look for? What would you do? Yeah. So um, you probably want, you want, uh, you want traps like number twos and number threes uh, for footholds that don't, you know, traps close and they touch in the middle. Um you want them to not touch in the middle. They're called an offset trap. So it leaves when it's fully closed, it leaves about a quarter inch gap uh, fully closed. And that's just because once you catch that coyote, he's going to want to start spinning and, you know, 
trying to pull on it and nip at it. So that kind of just relaxes the grip. So it's not like this sharp, this sharp, you know, mm-hmm. jaw gripping down. It kind of just gives them like a little more comfort room. So it kind of calms them down a lot faster. Um, but, you know, if you get, you know, even start with six, six of those uh, number two or number four offset jaws, anything like that, um, you know, dirt hole sets are probably the most used coyote set out there. Basically, you look for, you know, um, field edges. You look for, you know, if there, it's already a picked cornfield, you know, a, a rock out in the middle of the cornfield, something to draw them or something that they use to run around at, like the field mm-hmm. edge. You, you Basically, I just take a 12-inch rebar, I hammer it down, and you just start reaming it out to make a big, cir- big hole in the dirt. And then um, about, you know, whatever that is, 10 inches back from that hole, I'll set, I'll, I'll dig a little pad and then I'll set the trap in that little kind of dig out. And then just with real fine dirt, you want a sifter and you just sift, you know, dust and a lot finer dirt material over that trap so that it looks flat, like you were never there. Like something just came up, dug a hole and put some good stuff in that hole. Um, hmm but you kind of like make a little cookie cutter of your trap in the soil and then just cover it up so that like nothing, you can't see anything. Um, and then, so what should happen is if you put the, you know, the right bait and the right lure down there, it should just come up, look, want to get at, down into that hole and it's kind of having a hard time and it's stepping around where your trap is and then eventually steps right on the pan. Um, and you know another another good way is you know if you know that they're running through an area to set up cable restraints um you know it's basically just setting it up head high having their head run through oh my gosh the pinpoint accuracy of something like that is (laughs) yep yeah you could put some scent down like on either side of it so that their nose is down to the ground so the, oh, kinda... fuck moment from one of these animals has got to be just insane. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, it really does depend on terrain. I think this is why people, trappers get the reputation of knowing, you know, the critters so well. Travel there corridors are areas, and things like that. There are areas that, you know, just like funnels for deer mm-hmm. that these animals use constantly. Little log crossings over rivers where they don't have to get wet. Or I'm just thinking of a place up north where we deer hunt. There's a, um, <clears throat> it's a seedling farm for trees and they have a fence around part of it. In the corner of this one fence, I went. I remember seeing all these trails. Like, oh my god, this is the best deer hunting spot ever! And then it snowed a little bit. Well, they were all coyote trails, and they just run those, you know, those edges and those fence lines, like he was saying, the field edges, where I could see that working. But man, you still gotta know what the heck you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you just gotta kind of, for especially for cable restraints, you know, you take advantage of um, where where they're going, like a fence crossing in Wisconsin. You got to be, I think it's. You can't have the cable restraint hit anything half inch in diameter or bigger. So, like, you can't have it wrap around the fence once it gets caught. But, you know, taking that pinch point and setting up a cable restraint, they run right through it. I mean, catch them no problem. Um, You know, footholds are kind of just like they're trying to entice the animal to come check things out. You know, a nice big loud foothold set would have, like, snow on the ground but then like you just blow it up with mud and dirt everywhere so like you're calling kind of calling them in from all around at night you see big white snow patch and then just this big dirt hole set um you know it's it's getting their interest by a couple different ways visually 
you know, um, scent and then, um, you know, possibly bait if you can use bait in the state you're in. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like you're telling the animal you're going to put your foot right here because I set this up in a way that I just know you're going to. That's amazing. And when you think about it, you know, if you've seen coyotes or fox, it's like that curiosity zone. Like you were saying, you don't necessarily put that foothold like right where the activity is. Cause like sometimes they hold up, you know, before and they get that curious, like, let me look while it's still safe. So you like, I would imagine with these animals, you'd learn like what that distance is where they like stop and they're going to put their feet down and they're going to look at that disturbance before they go into it. And yeah. It's just and, amazing that you guys learn that stuff. Yeah. And then uh, like another thing with coyotes too, is like, if you'll have your trap set and your dirt over top of it and a coyote comes in steps and your trap is a little wonky, like he feels something under his feet, like it's on, it's like centered on a rock. It, it'll just leave. Like it won't, it won't it doesn't care what's in that dirt hole you know it could be anything um, but you have to have your trap like stable on the ground they don't like anything around their feet that's kind of you know wiggly anything like that uh you definitely need to stay scent free um you know always wearing gloves always doing all that because they'll just take one whiff and if they smell person they're out you'll never see them so you know dry so then how often are you um <clears throat> sorry how often are you checking your traps on because like that's got to be a, a really a exciting thing or deflating thing like i'm gonna walk up on my trap what's there today nothing you know then you gotta like how close you get to reconfiguring it if maybe something was aloof or can you tell someone came to investigate or oh my gosh there's something there you better have come prepared i see a lot of folks on social that do get coyotes and they got like the you know the fate what i would call like i don't know the dog catcher you know, pull, oh, you yeah. know, thing to get them off. Um, and then what do you, well, how do you dispatch him? Like, what's the, what's the ethical way to dispatch this thing once it's been trapped? You know, cause it always looks pretty sad when you see a live animal on a trap. What does that do um, to the anti-hunting community? There's just, there's a couple of things that I'm curious about with that. Yeah. So um, for, to answer your first question, you have to check traps every day, um, whether it's, live traps. You have to check foothold traps and traps where the animal is going to stay alive every day within 24 hours. Um, so, you know, whether you, you use some binoculars to check across the field, if you got anything, or you walk your trap line every day, um, you know, with coyotes and things, I would at least leave my trap set for a week. Sometimes I take big walkabouts and they don't really come back for a while. Then you just think like, oh, they're gone. I spooked them. But give it a couple more days after that they they do come around again they just might take big laps so um and then as far as like the catch pole stuff goes a lot of guys you might be seeing those videos a lot that like of guys down south there's actually a big market for live selling coyotes for uh training dogs and stuff so they'll really? just use a catch pole um if you grab them back by the nape of the neck they just go limp like i mean they're just like a little teddy bear at that point um they just I, I, I don't think they've they're used to it or or mo they're just they're just used to mom doing it or something but yeah they'll they'll either catch them with a catch pole and then throw them into a, a travel <laughs> container or just grab them by the nape of the neck and throw them in a in a travel container and then live the nape of the neck stuff. my wife was freaking out at me when i caught a snapper the other day to get it across the road by the toe check it's gonna bite you i'm like eh, no it's not <laughs> it cannot reach me right now 
you can't touch it by the tail. Yes, I can. <laughs> I've been doing this since I was like eight. Trust me. I never gotten bit by a snapper because they terrify me. And believe me, this is how you handle them. So I imagine once you get your comfortability level up with some of these species, you you kind of know what you're doing to some degree with yeah, some exactly. level of comfortability and confidence. But I imagine people also get bit too. You know, you, you little, little, little slip up in a mistake and suddenly you got a, a, a coyote bite. You got to go get a rabies shot or something. Yeah, I, I, I refuse to mess with them like that. <laughs> I'll use a catch bowl every time, but um, I'm sure there's plenty of cases where guys do get bit. Oh, I saw one video where some kid walked up on a nice bobcat he caught and the bobcat just, you know, it's all, it stretches far away from the kid as possible. And the kid's like kind of close to it. And the bobcat just like, starts over and just starts beating the shit out of the kid <laughs> i mean yeah, that's a bobcat or a lynx man not especially when they're cornered like literally that 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 would be uh not a good outcome you yeah. see i'm sure i'm sure zach's familiar with it but like uh the board release you know you got the board with the hole cut out at the bottom like the yep. upside down horseshoe and you get their paw you know you get a board between you and the wolf you accidentally call it, the bobcat you accidentally like, and then you release and the idea is they run away from the board. But I've seen a couple of those videos. They're like, like no, nah, I'm gonna get my bobcat's like, I wanna see who the hell's on the other side of the board. Bob Barker and uh, Happy Gilmore, I want the whole slice. <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> I actually have a story about that too. I was trapping coyotes in Missouri and uh I had caught neighbor's dog, you know. Our the landowner I was trapping on told the neighbor I was setting traps out, but still caught its German shepherd, so you know, it's something that happens. It's another good reason why they use your offset jaws because they're, they're, you know, a little more give to it. So I have to walk up to this, you know, 130 pound German shepherd and get him out of the trap. Um, terrified right off the bat. First of all, I was excited because <laughs> I thought I caught a coyote from far away. Walk up, <laughs> walk up and it's got a collar on it named shithead. So I caught shithead. <laughs> but, so I called my one buddy. Uh, he lived in town. Uh, I caught still. shithead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I caught shithead, buddy. Um, and he's like, all right, I'll come see what I can do. So I make, I didn't have a catch pole with me. So I found some conduit and some rope and I made a makeshift catch pole. Um, and I always have my 22 with me too, to, just for dispatch. And so I said, do you want to work the catch pole or the trap? And he said, I guess I'll work the trap. So just don't let go. Um, so I have the, I have his head in the catch pole. He lets it out of the trap, and I still have it. And he's like just trying to like tear away from it. And I just turned to him. I said, "If this thing takes three steps to me, I'm shoot. Or if this thing takes one step to me, I'm shooting it in the head." And I let it off the catch pole. His ears just shoot back, and he just like rubs up against my leg. Like, thank you so much for saving Aww, me. Oh, that's great. <laughs> wow, but you know, man. ten seconds ago, I thought he was gonna rip my head off. So. <laughs> Yeah, they're gnarly, you know, any, Our, anything like that. The neighbors got a German Shepherd in the room here yesterday. My wife was playing with it, man. The boundless energy that thing had was like going crazy. <laughs> I, was gonna, I can't imagine how that thing no. was trapped. Well, still. at that point, maybe it's fatigue or it's, you know, distraught or it sees people. It's like, it's hey, really it'll help me. It knows. Yeah. But I was wondering, like, uh, have you ever caught things you didn't intend to? And it sounds like that was one of those examples right there. So, um, yeah, I've caught dogs, a couple dogs, um, all released. You know, I don't want to shoot a dog, but if a German Shepherd's going to attack me, I'm going to. Yeah, um, but, you know, barn cats. Um, I did catch a great blue heron once. Um, really? Those things are everywhere. It, yeah, it stepped on a beaver trap. Uh, we got it out. It just went, it just left without a leg, without one of its two legs. But, um, you know, all DNR uh, observed. So 
Uh, you know, it just happens. That's stuff that's going to happen. Yeah. But you don't you don't want it to. But you know, that yeah, you almost you, you, do you almost don't. Enough, yeah, I see. You almost don't know what you're going to walk up against and it, or walk up to or what you're going to see in the trap. And you have a good idea because you were targeting a certain species with a certain scent and so forth and trap. But yeah, yeah neighbor's house house cats in there. Dogs like that smells good. Yeah. 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 The other thing I was really intrigued by, so I had the, uh, you know, coyote, something that the deer hunters around here may be interested in. But I'm really interested in how you did the uh, feral hogs. And did you guys use like net traps, or you're using what? What were you guys doing to catch all the feral hogs in Missouri? Then? Yeah. So um, our main our main way is we'd have uh, they're called drop traps, but they're basically six foot tall fencing, like hog fencing four big panels i forget how wide they were um there's end up being about 16 feet across i think um but basically there's a center pulley system that you winch that entire uh trap up off the ground and then you have a snap shackle at the bottom that just flings open when you pull like a cord and you kind of just bait it in a way that you set some bait around that trap and then you set a big pile of bait under that trip wire and the, the hogs come in, the little hogs just start, like, they hit that bait, and the little hogs just start coming around in a circle, and then Big Mama comes right under <laughs> where that biggest bait pile is, and that's that hits the, the you know, tripwire, and that drops that entire trap down to the ground, and then wow. pigs. And they were mobile, so we would, we would have to load them up onto a UTV, take them apart, and, you know, go throughout the Mark Twain National Forest, and... and trap hogs holy cow jeez so we man. had a lot of those um, a little bit more complex than your standard elmer fudd video <laughs> yeah. yeah right <laughs> um, and then we did have some that were uh i forget the company that made them but you got uh it's kind of like you know any cell phone or any trail cam company that sends you them to your phone but it was attached to the trap and you could hit a button on your phone that dropped the trap right then and there oh nice um, jeez and then, you know, I was, I was going to ask if you're if you're doing anything with trail cams, like if you can't make it out to a trap every day, are you setting like a cell cam up to monitor that to know, oh, I got to go out there and deal with this? That's that's a good that's a good thing for like nuisance guys. But it's actually still to at least to the best of my knowledge, it's still illegal in you know the fur trapping side of things, just because there can be so many malfunctions with that, that you need yeah. to be there in person. But, you know, uh, the nuisance side of things, I know a lot of guys will switch into that. If there's another person, you know, if you'd set up traps at like a, a customer's house and they can still go out and look at it if they need to. But you also have that backup of, hey, I caught it at midnight. Let's go take care of it now sort of deal. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. Boy, we covered quite a bit of ground there. And I feel like we barely scratched the surface. That's a I thing. Like, I, I didn't mean to like, jump into it i'm sure you know it's no, that the best excellent. intro for somebody that knows nothing about it i just kind of get ahead of myself and you know that's no, just that's really the reason good. why there's so much to like about it really you clearly articulated and displayed like just even when you talk about the beaver traps and and the, uh, the putting the mud on the bank and the slide and the distance from the bank based on the depth and and like using the sense it's like and the, and the the skin this time of year based on like the, holy shit the the depth of knowledge that you can start to accumulate here to inform what you're doing is fascinating and to know which traps to set where and the, the, 
it's it's a big topic. I think it'd be fun to have you back on. Um, we'll see what the response looks like for this particular episode because we've not really touched this topic before. And if it's a, if, I'm assuming it's gonna be a good response because it's a curious topic. We'd love to bring you back in. And if you're, dude, you're local. I don't know why we didn't have you here in studio for the record. Um, yeah, I come with a bunch of traps and things next time, and I can actually okay. do like live examples. Keep it away and... from my, keep away from my son. To, <laughs> I'd love to see a beaver pelt, and I'd love to see that, that gray fox, that silver fox pelt. Married man would love to see a beaver pelt. <laughs> I do got one last story about a beaver I caught. Okay, um, let's hear it. Oh, oh, it was at the marsh. That was the bar. Yeah, the marsh. All righty, all righty, the beaver. Um, <laughs> okay, all right. So I was setting beaver traps, and there's this like super defined, you know, slick coming right off a channel, right over a dike into a cornfield, eating corn, you know, cutting down stalks, all that stuff. So I set a trap up for a back left foot catch. I, I had deep enough water. It's very like specific. Yeah, I, I had deep enough water. I wanted to catch them by their big back foot. You know, it kind of cuts out the the possibility of them chewing off their front feet if they get caught. So back left foot catch. What's that movie Saw? Yeah. I mean, I've had, I got, I got another quick story after that one too. Um, But so back left foot catch, I missed it. My trap fired three days in a row without a beaver in it. I thought I was going to nail this guy for sure. The sign was fresh, all that stuff. I said, well, what the heck? Let me switch to a back right foot catch. I switched it that day. Next morning, check the traps, caught them. He didn't have a back left foot. That's why I didn't catch him those first three days. <laughs> so then, he triggered it, but he had nothing to get caught in. Yeah, he was just rubbing his belly on it, and then it was just like falling, or he was just pulling out of it, no problem. But once I actually got the foot that he had, caught him right away. Um, Do you think that was from another trap? The It was so healed, it almost looked like it either happened really young or he's just born without it because it, okay. there was like no stump no bone no nothing so i don't know exactly why he had that yeah. but it was it was totally it just looked like there was nothing there it's evolution yeah and grandpa yeah. got caught in traps he's like you yeah, we don't need this foot anymore we're well, gonna avoid that hole he drowned he drowned once i had caught the other foot so it didn't work out well for him <laughs> um and then and, one and more story that, too yeah, yeah so, that's what i was looking for um i had caught a raccoon by the front foot and it had chewed out you know it, it happens in trapping it chewed its front foot off enough where it could just pop out of the trap um doesn't happen a lot but you know it sucks to see i put that trap back in that same spot that night next morning i caught a raccoon with a stump for an arm it was that same raccoon stepping in the same exact spot two days oh in a row jeez either he's super dumb or you're really smart or a little bit of both <laughs> uh, it's it's yeah it's his fault at that point he decided it was a bad decision <laughs> yeah. that's wild that's but, wild that's so how much of this meat are you eating then too like are you eating like we talked about cooking up the beaver and we talked about like what you do with the pelts and, and all that stuff like what is your favorite thing to trap i beavers i love catching beavers for the fur but I also uh, butcher a lot of that meat. Um, you know, I I make I have big crockpot meals like pulled beaver, barbecue pulled pork style, um, big pot roast, things like that. You know, it's just such a good dark, rich meat. That's it's one of my favorites. I always keep a little bit of every beaver I catch. Um, I can't say I've ever had pulled beaver. 
Well, I mean, sounds. A lot of ways I would love. To, I would love to try it. Honestly, I'll try it. I'll try and get my hands on some, and I'll bring some if we ever meet up together. You get but, your hands uh, on that beaver, we'll pull it up. And yeah, just shred it awesome. apart. Yeah, yeah, man. Slow cook it up. We're we'll, gonna do a crock pot. We'll give you. A we'll eat beaver when we're uh, here next time with you. You know. <laughs> yeah. We'll schedule a date where you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have tried raccoon. Um, you know, I got a neighbor that used to eat it a lot. He cooks some up every now and again, but pressure cooked raccoon with uh, sweet potatoes. You know, it's it's very edible. It's don't let anyone tell you different. I wouldn't say it's good or bad, but it's definitely edible. It just depends on edible. preparation. But you know, it's it's not bad by any means. Yeah, that's like protein, so things, right? It's yeah, not how you make it. yeah. If you make it right, yeah. yeah. You make if you make you know venison the wrong way, my wife will never touch it ever again. So, you know, it's got that gamey flavor in some cases. But uh, Zach, we're gonna have to bring you back on at some point, and when we do, we'd love to have you in studio, and we'd love to do some fun things with like bringing pelts and food and all that stuff. Yeah. I think it'd be in traps and all all sorts of stuff. Um, can you just share with folks where they can find you, just to be sure that. If people are curious, they, they you might get some outreach or what have you and different questions like that. Where can we can send folks to find you? Sure. Uh, on Instagram, I'm Zach, Z-A-C underscore Ventus, V-E-N-C-H-U-S. Um, you could reach me there with any questions anybody has. Um, and then if anybody in the Madison area wants to see how the nuisance side of things works, uh, mm-hmm. my company is Zach's Nuisance Animal Removal. Um I pretty much operate all over Madison, Dane County. Um, you know, could always use a hand or could, uh, <laughs> you know, at least just inform, educate, all that sort of things. And, you know, if we ever, if once we do do a meetup, I'll bring in some furs and we can do demos and, you know, fleshing, stretching, drying or setting and all that good stuff. We got to come to Foam Fest. That's right in, uh, yeah, it's in uh, right? yeah, well, it's Hubbleton, which I think is uh, Waterloo is the technical city that that's in. And it's August 27th. It's a Saturday. Foam Fest is a small archery shoot we're putting on. Uh, you know, less about shooting your bows, probably more about drinking some beer and having a good time. Yeah. But uh, it's 20 bucks a ticket. You can go register on our website and the ticket's going to help us pay for the targets and, and the food and the beer and, and, and the music and all that stuff. So certainly if you're, if you're around for that, we'd love to meet you there in person and feel free to, to bring some of the pelts and all that stuff. It'd be really cool to see that stuff. Okay. Awesome. You can show me how to properly skin a coyote tail so I don't tear it off like I did on the last one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It took me a lot of tails to finally figure it out. You know, they yeah, some- I got the first... <laughs> First one I did came out perfect. So the second one, I was a little overly confident. <laughs> <laughs> Moved yep. a little too quick. And I was like, oh, no. Yep. Yeah. Cool. They make some tail tail strippers that work pretty dang good, but you're still going to lose some tails. Sometimes oh, yeah. if I just... I, if I, I saw, I, <laughs> yeah, if I saw I, uh, the tail stripper and uh, you know thought I could make a, a smaller size open-ended wrench work the same. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes if I if I think I'm going to lose it, I'll just chop it off. And then if I go get it tanned, I'll just sew it back on later. No, interesting. That's, yeah, that's, that's smart. Well, uh, thanks for being our guest tonight on, on the live broadcast. We'll get this produced in a podcast land this evening. We'll uh, you know tag in everything and all that stuff. So uh, the folks that were able to tune in and comment along, uh, Greg, for watch out for those Russian beavers and all that. <laughs> thanks, buddy. <laughs> Uh, you know, thanks everybody that, that was able that were able to tune in, and uh, we're on the live broadcast. And uh, stay tuned for when this thing drops later on.